It's Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Saturday mornings at 9 here on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana, a News Gazette media station. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with you for two hours this morning until 11 o'clock. Mr. Tate is in the house. How you doing there, sir? Very good. A lot to talk about. Baseball, last weekend of the regular season. We'll get you updated on those scores as if you didn't know them already. <laughs> the Cubs uh, beat the Cardinals 8-2 last night. The Rockies beat the Brewers 11-7. Tigers and the White Sox were postponed. They'll try to play two today. But uh, the Cardinals' magic number did drop a little bit, dropped one with that Rockies loss, but they didn't help themselves much. Yeah, they, they, uh, they need to beat the Cubs one more time at least. <laughs> at least. Those two teams will play tonight at the Bush Stadium. Adam Wainwright on the mound for the Cardinals in that one. There was some Big Ten football action last night. Penn State, ranked number 12 in the country, goes into uh, Maryland and puts a, four, a 59 to nothing whipping on the Terrapins and Mike Loxley. Penn State's kind of been overlooked this year. You know, nobody's paying much attention. They they rolled over Pitt in their big rivalry game with Pittsburgh, and and uh, I think everybody just feels like Ohio State's too much. And everybody's talking about Michigan, uh, of course. So uh, between, you know, Michigan and Ohio State and all that talk in the East and, and Wisconsin and their performance, uh, Penn State's been overlooked, and they're 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 good again. Of course, the Illini off this weekend. They have the uh, open week. They'll be on the road next week at Minnesota. The other games in the Big Ten today, Rutgers is at number 20, Michigan. Iowa plays a non-league game against uh, Middle Tennessee State out in Iowa City. Northwestern is at number 8, Wisconsin. That's a big one for them. Boy, Wisconsin's, how are you going to stop them? They're rolling. They're into that top 10 now. They're a 24-point favorite in that game. Indiana plays at number 25, Michigan State. Minnesota is at Purdue, that game this afternoon at 2.30. That's a, a pick em game, pretty even there. Nobody's favored in that one. We'll see how it goes. And maybe the marquee game of the day comes tonight at 6.30 in Lincoln, Nebraska. Number five, Ohio State, a 17-point favorite on the road at Nebraska. Nebraska coming off that win over Illinois last weekend. Volleyball last night, speaking of Nebraska, the number three-ranked Cornhuskers in town to take on uh, the 20th-ranked Fighting Illini. Stuffed the Huff night. They had a blue out. Pretty good match, but uh, Nebraska wins it in five. Final score in that fifth set was 15-10. to 10. Yeah, uh, Illinois made two overtime wins uh, to get back ahead, and they were leading, but, um, you know, two to, two to one, I believe, and uh, just couldn't hold them. So they're five and five now in the season. Illinois is. Yeah, and they've lost, they've lost some tough. You know how how many uh, five set matches have they had? <laughs> a bunch. Out of ten matches, probably half of them anyway. It seems like it. Yeah, so they'll be back in action tonight at Huff against Iowa, and you can hear the action right here on News Talk fourteen hundred DWS with Tim Dipman on the call.
So I'm um, I'm looking around. I don't see any I don't see any bodily damage like you tried to slit your wrist or anything like that. I've tried I tried I heard somebody was in a closet in a fetal position. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> I started the game that way. I didn't I didn't think about the uh, closet until Joe Thompson recommended that. I said I'm I'm going to watch the game tonight against the Cubs in the fetal position and I don't know how long I'll last. <laughs> he said, "Don't you have a good closet?" <laughs> As it turned out, I I didn't need to stay in there very long. It was uh, it was over before it got started almost. And uh, Dakota Hudson was pitching okay. He struck out 10. Well, yeah, I gave he up got, two, two hits in five innings. Yeah, and he walked take, some guys, but they yeah. didn't score. He was pitching great. If, you know, you just have to take him out after five innings. I mean, I don't know how, you know, you wind up using guys that are just out of Memphis. That's basically what you're doing when you when you go five, six deep in your, in your pitching after the starter. And it's September, almost October. It's a whole different thing. It's a different thing for me. I leave him in. I don't care how many balls he throws. I, that's silliness. That's, I understand that if you look at the statistics and you look at the records, that more guys get hurt, hurt their arms, after they reach 100 pitches or 110, whatever it is. I understand that. That's, that's for the regular season. We're now in the playoffs. That's almost for the beginning of the regular season. You well, know, just come out I of think during training. the course of a long season, if you keep throwing guys 130, 140 pitches, the likelihood of injury is greater. It doesn't mean he's going to get hurt. I mean, you've seen guys in, in, in the old days pitch that many, inning, uh, that many pitches in a game time after time. Feller pitched relief in between his starts, if you want to go back that far. So it, it, you can do it. It's just that they've got a statistic. You know, they've got those numbers that show things that you've got to live by. But we're in the playoffs. It's a different game. They can rest all summer. It's a different game winter. we're seeing these days. Bob Gibson had 225 complete games. Yeah, I know. You don't see I, that anymore. And, and Nobody and, was counting these pitches either. And nobody's hitting 300 anymore. <laughs> you know? true, too. It, it, too hard to hit the ball. They're throwing it too hard. You know, for years, you, you were successful three out of 30% of the time, three out of 10 times, and you're, you're considered a great hitter. Very good, yeah. 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 But now nobody's even getting to that point. I know. Except Tom, world. Tommy Edmond, <laughs> the young Cardinal, he's over 300 now, and he had, what, you three know, of the five hits? You're a pitcher, Steve. And you throw the ball over the plate and hit a home run. You're you're going to be very careful about throwing the ball over the plate. So I think everybody tends to nibble. Everybody goes for the corners, and you're going to walk people doing that. And you're going to run your pitch count up. And you, and and if you're a strikeout pitcher, it takes a lot of pitches to strike a guy. You just don't do it on three pitches, very often. Uh, I, I think uh, Verlander threw nine pitches one inning this year, didn't he? Yeah. And threw all struck out three guys. But I, you know he's special. I, I, I bet he could throw any number and it wouldn't matter. We're going to talk plenty of baseball. Here's our guest lineup on uh, today's show. The phone lines are open, 356-9397. After our first break here momentarily, we're going to talk with Illinois golf coach Mike Small here in the studio. Then we'll get into baseball at the bottom of the hour. Will Leach, U of I graduate, uh, does a lot of writing for a lot of different uh, publications and online uh, situations. He's with MLB.com for one. He's a big Cardinal fan, but uh, a big baseball fan overall. He'll join us at 9.30. At 10 o'clock, it'll be uh, Bernie Miklas from uh, St. Louis. He writes for The Athletic and uh, does a radio show of his own in St. Louis. He'll have an interesting take on what's going on this last weekend of the regular season. He also does a weekly podcast with Will Leach. That yeah, uh, I'd it, like to hear that. It is good. It, I've heard it a couple of times. So that's what's on the schedule. 
Plenty of time. We'll talk about uh, more about the Big Ten games on the schedule today as well. We'll get you updated on the high school scores from football last night. First, we'll take our first time out on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Monday Night Sports Talk has a pair of special guests, Illini basketball players Io DeSudo and Georgie Bishanishvili. Live at the Esquire, 5 o'clock Monday night here on DWS. Here we go back on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lawrence Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Phone lines are open, 356-9397. My golf coach, Mike Small, is in the house. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing great, Steve. Thank you. Got you off the golf course, or at least you're not there yet this morning. Going soon, yep. So how are things going? You had, uh, you've had, you had, what, two of five fall tournaments uh, in the books for your team. What, uh, what do you like about what you've seen so far this fall? Well, I like the depth. We have, uh, I think we have ten very competent players that can play at this level. Um, improvement still needs to happen down the line. But um, I think there's a potential there that guys can really improve this year and really take their games to another level to help us compete where we want to compete. Um, we've had some good low rounds on some really hard golf courses. Brian Baumgarten and Michael Fiegels both shot 67s at Olympia Fields last week with uh, the rough very high, the wind up, and playing U.S. Open pins. So um, that shows that they got what it takes to, to get it done. We just need it done more consistently. You've got a young guy named Jerry G., a freshman, who uh, – Made quite a splash in his first competitive round, didn't he? Yeah, his first uh, competitive round is 63 out in out in Arizona. The course uh, was a good golf course. It's, it's, it's a very nice golf course, but it's not as difficult as Olympia Fields. But um, you still got to shoot, still got to make some putts and hit some good shots to shoot 63. And, um, you know, Jerry didn't know what to expect. Just went out and was, you know, was himself and, and, um, and fires that number. And, uh, you know, ironically, his first, the first qualifying round we had this fall when the team shows up and we start competing for spots, he didn't know what to expect either and busted out a low in his first round when he got here. So, you know, it's, it's for freshmen, it's up and down um, for those guys. And, um, you know, we need to quiet his mind down. I think he's trying to fit in. I mean, he's doing a great job, but he tries to play too good too often. And uh, those first couple rounds I mentioned, he just kind of went out and played and was, was himself and didn't have any expectations and, and, and really played some good rounds. Well, tell us about bringing him in, how the, the recruitment of another fellow from overseas and, and how that worked. Well, you know, Jerry's I think is our sixth international player in 20 years, so we don't haven't had a lot. We're still way below ben the curve. Had some good ones though. That's the last. That's, <laughs> that's the ironic thing about it is we've hit it pretty good. Yeah. But um, you know, a lot of other schools in the country have a lot more international players than we have had. But like you said, the ones we've had have been pretty noticeable and pretty um, recognizable because of their success. Um, but Jerry, uh, we, we we watched we watched Jerry. I watched him probably three or four years ago, just at, a t- at down in Florida and. He was a little a little player that didn't really have a lot of steam and a lot of mustard in his shots, but you could tell he was very fundamentally sound. And I just watched him develop over the years. And and then a couple of years ago, he won the big international junior junior Orange Bowl down in Miami, which caught a lot of people's attention. And then and then he really did some great things in Europe the last year and a half. Um, two so years. how was he able to travel back and forth, uh, you know, to this country? Uh, well, the way the European, the, a lot of the countries in the, in the world now, they have golf federations. Okay. That supports their top junior players. Okay. So, you know, that's how they're funded either through the government or through donations, I, I, I think. But um, that's how these international players have really grown over the years um, is that he will come to events in the U.S., he'll go to events in Spain, he'll go to events in Asia. But the, the Dutch Federation um, will, will, will pay for five or six guys to travel around and play. 
and then they obviously get together for the European team championships, which they have, and um, they have probably have three or four big international team championships that, that that their federation wants to win on behalf of the of, of of their country. So they get a lot more play, a lot more travel around the world than the U.S. kids do because so the U.S. Just, kids just stay in America. You just, uh, catch him when he came here, or were you keep you keeping track of him over there, or do you have a contact over there? No, I watched him when he came here. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never, no, I've, I've never seen him play overseas anywhere but here mm-hmm. until he got here. So. That you know, that's the benefit of, of obviously coaching in the U.S. And, and and being here is that a lot of the top junior events are in the U.S. So they do come here quite a bit and play, and then uh, that's how we always kind of pinpoint and peg the international players. We had uh, several players from Belgium, and you had not been to Belgium, but you have now, right? Did you go? Did you make that trip? I did this summer. Yes. How'd that go? It was fun. I enjoyed that. Enjoyed. So you met a lot of people that you probably felt like you knew, but you never right had a face with it. I put a face with the name right. and. Uh, the people in, in in their federation and some instructors and obviously some, uh, you know, the guys that played for me, obviously in their families, I got to see some parents I haven't seen for a while and, and just kind of see their background and where they come from and, and um, you know, their lifestyle and uh, spend time with Thomas Dietrich, Thomas Peters, and it was great. And, um, you know, I feel like I know the people over there. They're great people. The parents have been so supportive. The players have been very talented, very good students, great players, and uh, it was just fun to get over there. And then I obviously tied in a couple – other days uh, recruiting at at, at, at at amateur events over there. And I went to Germany to, to watch an amateur event and, um, you know, watch some other young players. And actually I saw Jerry G actually play the summer over there. So I did see him at the German amateur before he came, you know, about a month before he came to school. Was that the on the same trip when you uh, tried out or you, you played a, a, a qualifying round or right. for the uh, Senior British Open? Right, yeah, okay. yeah. I did that, the, did that on the front end and didn't mm-hmm. make it and then, uh, then w- went on to uh, uh, Belgium and – Holland and Germany. So is golf at the pre-college level there in that part of the world as big or bigger than it is here? No, it's not even close to no. as big. But the players, the top players are just as good. Um, the depth isn't there. But when I went to the German amateur, which was which was an amateur event, not a junior event, but mm-hmm. it had junior players in it. Obviously, Jerry was playing in it before he came to school. Um the top players are very, very good. Uh, a lot of them have, obviously, um, you know, the amateurs have college bags that play over here. The junior players don't have those yet, obviously. But um, it, it's it, it's impressive to see um, how technically sound some of these junior players are in Europe, because these federations they pay coaches, they pay uh, you know they give them the support to train, and the top players are actually pretty well developed by the time they're 16, 17 years old. Coach, um, talk about. What's your uh, feeling about all the discussions going on at the major level, mainly about football and basketball, the transfers, pay-for-play, all this sort of thing? Do you think your golf, uh, your members of your squad should be allowed to earn money on on their likeness, for instance, their image, whatever? Well, I'm old school on this topic, and I don't think that discussion really applies to golf as much as the big sports. I don't think somebody's going to really pay golfers a lot of money to promote their stuff at that age, in my opinion. Your golfers are pretty well known around here. I mean, uh, I yeah. would think there'd be some companies that would be happy to have them. And there, I mean, there's there's money in your sport. There is, but the money's usually gone to the professional level. Um, you know, may, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe there'd be more of a demand to pay college players to, to do something or represent somebody um, like that. But as far as the universities paying players, I'm to not come talking to about school. the university paying. I'm talking oh, okay. about 
them able to go out in in the business world and, and capitalize on the likeness and make right. some, yeah i would you know i i just think lauren i don't think the demand is going to be there for golf as much as it is for some other sports um for basketball and football now it might be more for the other compared to the other olympic sports because of the of the notoriety and people playing the sport but like I said, I'm old school. I believe that um, if kids start getting paid in a roundabout way to go to college, I think it, I think it diminishes the value of the education they're getting. I think it gets in the way of the purpose they're there. And when we when we recruit our student athletes, the first thing we tell them is that you're here to be a student first and an athlete second. Now, an athlete is a close, close, close second, but nothing supersedes academics. And when you start putting money in there and kids starting to come to schools for the ability to, you know, some schools may pay have people in the community pay their student athletes more money to represent some window company or somebody in town at Oklahoma State or at Texas or at Florida. They people there might have more money to back these kids than somebody in Champaign. Mm-hmm. That's a recruiting disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So then you said then all of a sudden you start recruiting people in from the community to pay for these kids' likenesses to come to your school and then where's the, and then the thing blows up and then you have all these violations and people involved in your program that shouldn't be and the kids are listening to people outside the team instead of just their coaches and and their administrators and it, it it just becomes a big a big mess and i think again you're getting all this the ability to make some money um at an early age ahead of the value of an education there's plenty of time to do that but i think the education process has got to be pure to where you're here to get something's education coming first. because the California legislature voted unanimously and put a bill in front of the of the governor. You got New York doing the same thing. You got South Carolina doing it. You know Florida will be doing it. You know Texas. Pretty soon, if all those states pass laws, what's the NCA going to do? I mean, you can't. I mean, they can say, well, well, you know, we're going to we won't allow anybody from California to come. But what if all the other states start doing it? Well, I think you're right. I think it's a mess brewing. It's it's going to be a big deal. Um, I'm not as well versed as some, obviously, some of the administrators or Josh is in our department, but um, yeah, it's 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 going to change the landscape of college athletics, and I think you're going to see a lot of student athletes um, probably run out of opportunities in the long run because this is going to feed into the universities paying, um, you know, it's you know, becoming employees or whatever. You know, there's been some talk about that. This is going to this is going to evolve into all that kind of stuff, and then. There's not going to be not going to be as much money to go around for all these uh, different sports, and mm-hmm. I think I think you're going to see you know, maybe sports eventually become um, become diminished if this goes through. And uh, I mean, I think the system's pretty good right now. I know there's a lot of money in it. People always want their money; they want to grab a hold of it, and they want to they want their fair share, if they say. But again, an education at a you know at, at a respected institution that can get you off on the right foot in life and, and teach you a lot of the life lessons while you're in school is pretty valuable. And uh, I, I think people are looking past that. Talking with Illinois golf coach Mike Small, you had your annual fundraising event last weekend in Chicago. And did you get a lot of uh, former guys back and involved? It was a wonderful day and a half. And uh, we had six former players back that came back to support. And, um, you know, Steve Stricker started the event, and I started the event probably 18 years ago. And, Stick, and Strick has been so great in supporting the event and, and grown this thing to a, to a level that we would never have imagined in the – the, the, the financial support and the, and the emotional support that people give us is just phenomenal. And, and Strick couldn't come back this year because we went to a September date. Um, but the young guys, we had six uh, tour players that had played for us, came back and, and picked up the slack and had a great time. And I think we had close to 60 groups um, playing, and we have a, had a big gala auction reception the night before, which people were 
it was a great mood, a great vibe, and just the generosity of these people wanting to help our program and be a part of it and, and uh, support these kids um, you know, through donations to the program that can help us do things that maybe other programs can't do that keeps us ahead of the curve. And, and uh, you know, that's, that, that, that's what's cool about it. And I think the players on the team were all there this year because we've had it in August before where they couldn't show up. Right. Now, now the team was there, and they saw the reception that they get and the support that they get behind the scenes. And, again, I think they now value their time as a student athlete and what they have. They appreciate what they have from facilities to travel to support so much different than they did maybe a week and a half ago because they see all these people that are so excited to be there and support them, be around them, and just um, help them achieve what they want to achieve and you know help them chase their goals and dreams. And I think uh, hopefully that makes them, makes them play better and play harder too because they see that support. Well, Coach, talk about Don Edwards, your old teammate. Yeah, Don's great. Don Don actually spoke uh, for a few minutes at the board fundraiser. Board of Trustees. He's, he's, he's the head of the Board of Trustees this year for a couple of years, and he played on the same, same team as uh, Steve Stricker and myself. And um, Little Eddie, we call him. He's a great, great <laughs> Little Eddie came, got pretty big, didn't he? <laughs> Little Eddie's a big player. He, got his, he played at Illinois and got his MBA at Harvard. Uh, and, you know, getting back to the athletic versus the academic side, you know, he was a – bronze tablet here at Illinois in business and went and got his MBA at Harvard and he's gone on to make a lot more money than a lot of the professional athletes that you see and uh, he's been very successful and um, but he wants to get back to the university he wants to come back and continue to make this place great and grow it and uh, his his support um, you know for the for not only for the DIA but the school of business the entire university now as a board trustee as, as running the board is um, it's just it's exciting to see an Illini that has been invested in the university that that um, is part of the, you know, the university's part of him, coming back and trying to help as much as he can to keep it growing, keep it being great. Have you had uh, a chance to talk much lately with Steve Stricker on how things are going with the, with the Ryder Cup coming up and him being the Ryder Cup captain? Has that turned into a full-time job already? <laughs> well, we haven't talked about that specifically, but yeah. we've texted each other back and forth, and he's he's been a, he was on a big week-and-a-half-long hunting trip, elk hunting trip, which I guess you have to put your tag in four years, your, your, your bid in for a tag four years in advance. Really? And he finally uh, got just got just got to go on one, but uh, that's that's where he's excited about now. And he had such a great summer playing. You know, he had two or three wins on the Champions Tour and won a couple majors. And he hasn't played in a two months, month and a half. Doesn't just you know wants a more well-rounded life, which I can respect. And and um, uh, the Ryder Cup is going to take a lot of his time. I'm not sure if he's doing that right now. I think it's going to pick up this next year. But um, I think he's bracing himself for that. And you know, he's, he's it's going to be an awesome time up in Wisconsin when he's. Uh, leading the Ryder Cup team at, 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 at Whistling Straits. Will he be able, well, I guess it will be up to him, but will, will that, those duties affect how much he plays next season? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, although he doesn't play much right now. Right. <laughs> it might affect, um, hopefully it doesn't, but I would see how it would affect the quality of his play. Obviously, when your mind is distracted and you got things going on in business or at home or away from the game, it does take away from your ability to compete and your ability to concentrate and focus and Although he's one of the best, I mean, best has ever lived. I mean, he's a top ten in in all time money list right. on the PGA Tour. Yeah. So if there's somebody who can handle it, Strick can handle it. Well, talk about what you got left this season. You got what three more matches? Is that right? Yep. And uh, you're going to shake up the lineup at all, or are you happy with what you've got? How, I mean, what are you thinking? Well, we have three more tournaments. Um, we've had two. Uh, the first event every year, we qualify for that one. That's just a straight man-to-man, let's go throw the balls down and see who plays the best. You're supposed to come back from the summertime with your game and gear. That's your mm-hmm. mandate when you leave in June is to come yeah. back with your game growing and ready to compete in the fall. So the second one, Olympia Fields, I had a little more say in. 
and I'll continue to have more say in the, in, in, in the lineups moving, moving forward. But, you know, every day we play or compete or qualify or go play in a tournament, each player is building their body of work. They're showing the coaching staff and they're showing each other what they can do and how they can be relied upon. So I think the next three tournaments is um, – um, we'll probably shake the lineup up a little bit and get some see some see some different um, um, you know players how they react to different situations because the springtime is really where it all happens. Obviously, the Big Tens and the NCAA regionals and nationals is the one people remember, and that's the one they give the biggest uh, awards and trophies out for. So we have to try to peak for that every year. What do you so. do with the guys that aren't don't make the trip? The guys that are real close, you know, I mean, they, right. they could be on your team and, and you want to develop them too, but they can't play. That's the tricky thing in, in, in college golf is that you only tra- you could travel five. Well, we, we traveled more than five the first two events because we could, and, we, and it was the ability to take some individuals along uh, along with the team. But the events coming up aren't going to be that uh, afforded to the, to the kids. So the ones that don't make the trip got to stay at home, and they got to have a game plan at home and a practice plan at home to take it upon themselves to get better. But – you know, coaches can't be two places at one time. So we have to take care of the of, of the guys that qualify, the guys that are out there competing for the university. Those are our first priority on the road. And then uh, when we get back, the guys at home have to take ownership in them, in, you know, in their games and their time when they're practicing. To when that chance comes again, that opportunity comes again to make the lineup, take advantage of it. I mean, it is an individual sport, so they don't need guys to practice with, but they need some direction. And that, a lot of times in golf, that comes from yourself. You got to figure this thing out and figure out where your game is emotionally and mentally and physically and be ready for the next one and um, just take you know self-responsibility, if you will. What about your playing schedule? Anything left on the uh, fall schedule for you? No, I think I'm done. I've, okay. I haven't played much this year at all compared to other years, and um, um, I was supposed to play in Austin, Texas this week, but I withdrew this week. I got some recruiting duties in down in, down in uh, Georgia I'm going to head down to and do. And, um, it's just been a very sporadic year for me. I thought I'd have more opportunities on the Champions Tour than I did. Compared, you know, I guess considering how I played last year, mm-hmm. those didn't come through, and um, so that's okay. That's okay. This is I'm I'm very happy and very content with what I got going on, and busy enough to do what I have to do um, with coaching. But you know, the playing aspect I've done it for a long time, and I like to you know keep doing it, but it doesn't have the the it, the, the the glitz and glamour, if you will, that it used to have. Um, but it's important to still keep my head in the game. But uh, you know, I got I got a big team this year. I have ten players, so there's uh, there, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of responsibilities I have to take care of here right now. you got to be able to beat your own players, don't you? Well, that's, that's always <laughs> been the case. Lauren, I don't know. It's getting, it's, uh, Is that my, getting away from you? It kind of, it's, it's, not, it's not so much fun because now I have to warm up three hours before a round of golf <laughs> I play, and I have to stretch, and I have to do all my exercises before I could just step out of the car and play. This is getting old stuff. If not, I did not three hours before, I wouldn't be able to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just now a swing in the club. It's, it's, it's moving. It's, it's, it's uh, getting this whole body moving again, which is uh, it's taxing. That's Illini golf coach Mike Small, the creator creator of the quote, the golf ball does the talking. <laughs> That's right. Okay. You can That's apply right. that every day, can't you? That's right. There's no politics in our program. <laughs> if, you, if you play well, you will play. Good to see you, Smalley. Thanks for your time. Thanks. We'll take a break and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk coming up here on DWS. Join us tonight for more Fighting Illini Volleyball, 7 o'clock, Illinois hosting Iowa at Huff. Tim Dippman has the play-by-play starting at 7 o'clock tonight. And welcome back, everybody. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Phone line is open. 356-9397 is the number. Thanks to Illini golf coach Mike Small for taking some time to stop by and visit with us this morning on kind of a rainy Saturday morning here in central Illinois. That uh, forecast looks better for the rest of the day, perhaps. 
We'll see how that goes as well. We're going to talk some baseball now. Will Leach is with us. Some baseball and college football conversation uh, with Will Leach from MLB.com. Good morning, Will. How are you doing? Very well, as always. Like many people that uh, follow the Cardinals, I'm uh, tired, exhausted, and stressed. But, uh, you know, I guess that's better than the alternative. Yeah, we were looking forward to this weekend and not looking forward to this weekend. Uh, a lot of Cardinal fans hoped that maybe they could have figured out a way to get it clinched before they came home for this final series, but that didn't uh, happen, so they've still got work to do. How are you feeling this morning after last night's Cubs win? Yeah, well, certainly I'm feeling a lot better not because the Rockies won. There's no question. But, yeah, that that was an ugly one. You know, and that's, that's two consecutive games now where your bullpen has imploded on you. And, you know, I still feel like the key to this Cardinals team all season has been their, their, their bullpen, their, their run prevention, essentially. And to see that kind of blow up twice in a row. But really, you know, I actually feel like in large part that's a result – uh, and almost a response to what's going on with the offense. If you looked at the offense, Cardinals had many opportunities to break that game open last night. Tommy Edmonds kept getting on. Tommy Edmonds just kept getting on base and watching Paul Goldschmidt and Marcelo Zuna do nothing to even move him over, let alone get him home. So uh, certainly uh, the offensive woes. Uh, they go through these stretches where the offense just stopped. I think they still have not entirely recovered from that 19-inning game, uh, which messed up a lot of stuff for them, both offensively and defensively. They're fortunate that the Rockies uh, uh, helped them out last night, but I don't think they should count on that these rest- next couple of games. Yeah, that that 19-inning game would go me, with me. Will go look at the lineup they used the next day, for example, and the pitching that all those pitchers that had to come out and pitch in that game and. Uh, I think it just it, it plus everybody was just dead tired. Not that the you know not that they were the only ones, but that that game was a a real blow to their team. I I mean to their to their push for the to try to clinch the thing and, and losing that last game out there really hurt. Yeah, you know, I was, it was it was a blow for their chances to win the division, even if they'd have won that game. I mean, really, nineteen innings is just. And you know, I thought it was kind of funny. I think Dan McLaughlin, the Cardinal broadcaster, is really good, but I like a fool. Stay up and watch that game, and and there would be whole innings where he would he'd say, "Leading off is, is Marcelo Zuna," and they would not speak again until the at bat was over. So it was exhausting <laughs> for the announcers. So you know how exhausting it must be. It must be for the players. And I think what's frustrating about that loss too is the that last batter in that game, he was set, the, the Diamondbacks were out of pitchers, so he was actually going to pitch the next thing, so all he had to do was get that last out. I think that's that's the double whammy of it, because uh, it kills you even if you win that game, but once you lose it, they, they just haven't recovered. I mean, the, 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 in the two games since then, there's been any where the bullpen's given up seven runs. Uh, I find it hard to argue that those are at least somewhat related, but it's not going to make a difference if they don't hit, right? And and I think I think that's really the major thing that we've seen throughout this season, is the offense does not give them much of a margin for error. And I think that's what's scary. Listen, we should be celebrating right now. The Cardinals have made the playoffs for the first time in three years. But I think it's not just the, the wild card game. It's how dramatic of a difference the winning the division is going to be as opposed to getting the wild card. If you win that division, the Braves are a very good team, but I don't think they scare anyone the way that the Dodgers scare people. And you have to play the the Max Scherzer and the Nationals just to get a chance to play the Dodgers. The difference between winning the division and the wild card is pretty massive. Yes, so it is. Uh, you can certainly understand why, why it's very important for them to do it. Let me take you a step uh, away from the games this week to the – Cubs and the Cardinals, what do you do with those teams? Do you blow up the Cubs? Do you keep the core? What do you do about the pitching that they need help on? And what should the Cardinals stand pat with the team they have? 
I think the Cardinals on the Cardinals side, they're almost kind of overexposed at this point. I kind of feel like they, whether they win the division or not, this is largely the team you're going to see next year. I think that uh, minus Marcelo Zuna, who uh, I think his contract is up. I think they'd like Dylan Carlson to play that role. Frankly, Ozuna has kind of fallen apart in the last couple of weeks of the season anyway. I know he wants to come back, but I don't see a lot of uh, evidence that the Cardinals are really eager to make that happen. And I think with Carlson ready, you can, you can kind of understand it. Uh, but otherwise, I think most of these guys are signed. I mean, this is kind of the thing that they did in the offseason by signing Michaelis Carpenter and Goldschmidt to extensions. You kind of committed to this team for better or worse, which is why you probably should win the NL Central while you have the chance. The Cubs, you wonder if the Cubs are going to almost overreacting a little bit. Obviously, this has been a very rough ending to the season. Last year was a rough ending to the season. This is still a team that has won, won that made the playoffs three straight years, won 90-plus games each of those years. And and, you know, I think Madden, there's no question he's gone, but I think Epstein uh, wants to stay. And, you know, you're hearing rumors that they want to trade, that because they're worried about money, they might trade Chris Bryant. To me, that's, you know, that's, that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, a little bit. I think there's so much talent still on this team. Uh, when you have a top-tier talent like, like Chris Bryant, and uh, when you're like the Cubs, who actually, you know, sure, they're running up against the, the salary cap a little bit, and they're going to have to get some pitching, but Chris Bryant, you don't let a player like that go uh, very easily. So I, I think that there's this sense, and I, uh, because Madden's leaving, and because some of these guys are going to be gone, that this is somehow the end of the Cubs era and the end of the Cubs dynasty. I suspect we have not heard the last uh, from the Cubs on this. I think that uh, I think they might get a manager that's probably more in line with wanting, what they're wanting to do anyway. And uh, they need to develop their young pitching. Their their farm system's got a long way to go. But the idea that the Cubs are going to go the Pirates way and somehow just disappear for three or four years and not spend money, I I don't see it. I think the Cubs are still – I think they're still going to be competitors. They're just not going to be the juggernaut that we all thought they were going to be. But the idea that they're going to start over like they did in 2011 and 2012 to restart, I I don't see a lot of evidence of that happening. There's just too much talent on that roster. Visiting with Will Leach, if the Cubs let Joe Madden go – how long does it take him to find a job if he wants one? Oh, I don't think it'll be very far, long at all. I was on uh, MLB White now. Sox? Uh, <laughs> White Sox? White Sox, maybe. maybe. Uh, I, to me, I, the, the place actually makes a lot of sense. I was on MLB Now this week at, on, on MLB Network with Ken Rosenthal, and Ken had a story this week talking about Joe Madden with the Angels, which actually makes a lot of sense. You feel bad for Brad Osmond. He just got there. Kind of a Rick Renteria situation, actually. But, you know, he worked for the Angels for years and years and years. He was assistant for Mike Sosha for a long time. He clearly has a lot of connection out there. And the Angels clearly need something, right? They need some sort of spark to show that they're taking their, their team seriously in an age uh, where they've, they've extended Trout into perpetuity. But I don't think there's any question the Pirates would love him. Uh, I think Cut Hurdle's probably on his last days there. The Pirates would love him there. Uh, there's certain, Some of those older managers uh, that have had success in the past have the reputation, like Sosha uh, and maybe Bruce Bochy, to be a little bit too crotchety and too resistant to uh, to the to the new kind of statistical revolution. Madden doesn't have that reputation, and obviously he won a World Series for the Cubs, so he still has that going for him as well. I understand. I feel like Madden's strategic acumen is 
not as strong as I think his reputation would proceed sometimes. But uh, there's no question that he, he, if he wants a job, he will not have to wait very long to get one. Unlike, say, uh, Mike Matheny, who I mean, the big rumor was this week because he works for the Royals and Ned Yost retired that he might take over that job. The Royals have pushed back on that a little bit. I think they're going to open up their uh, uh, their search a little wider than Matheny, and I think with good reason. I think uh, whatever Madden's shortcomings, the guy did win a World Series with the Cubs and has to respect the baseball. I, I don't think he'll be unemployed for long. Who do you think the manager of the year is in the National League? I, I think it comes down to this weekend, right? I think yeah. that uh, if, the, if the Brewers win the division, I think it's uh, there's no question that it's council. I think you could make an argument it's council anyway. I think that what the Brewers have had to kind of overcome, not just with Yellis, you know, Ryan Braun got hurt yesterday, and they had, and obviously they, they uh, you know, people forget Corey Knavel was supposed to be their big close uh, reliever with Hader at the beginning of the year, and he was out for the end of the year. What the Brewers have had to overcome is rather dramatic, uh, to say the very least. I think you can justify voting for council uh, even if the Brewers don't win the division this weekend. I think if they do win the division, I think he's a slam dunk winner. I think the argument for Schilt is compelling, too, if they, if they if the Cardinals win the NL Central. To me, just the idea of how all the things have been cleaned up over the last couple of years. The, the, I know errors are not the best gauge of defensive acumen, but the Cardinals went from last from last in errors to best in errors. I mean, they are, they really have cleaned up their defense, cleaned up their base running. All the uh, the Cardinals have issues with their offense, no question. But the thing that really killed them over the last few years, particularly toward the end of Matheny, it was undisciplined baseball. It was it was sloppy defensive play and sloppy base running, and that's been cleaned up pretty much across the board. And you're seeing guys like Colton Wong, like Dexter Fowler, who really struggled under the previous administration, kind of becoming their best selves again. I think Schultz has been a huge, huge huge uh, addition uh, for the Cardinals and I think has kind of made them into the franchise. I think they kind of wanted to be toward the end of Matheny. Uh, but if the, so I, I think Schilt is going to win if the Cardinals win the division. And I think the Bre- uh, council will win if the Brewers win the division. I think you can make a pretty good argument. As much as I admire Schilt, what council's done this year is pretty remarkable. The fact that the Brewers not only are still hanging around, they outlasted the Cubs for the second straight year. I think that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. I'm going to flip you over because I want to get your comments on Bill Self, Kansas, and what's going on in basketball with uh, all these uh, apparent uh, moves being made based on the FBI stuff. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think? Well, certainly that, that promotional video that he put together was unusual, wasn't it? Have you seen that where he's wearing the big uh, in this particular Could, time? And couldn't Bill get a bigger Self one, could he? Yeah, it's a bigger Adidas shirt and a big money uh, tagger. I, and whatever, Self is, is, is certainly a character, and I think he has a good sense of humor about things. I don't know if this is necessarily the time to be making jokes. But um, on the one hand, you know, I think that there's no question that uh, I think your Kansas fans and people involved in Kansas would be kidding themselves if they didn't think uh, if they're if they've talked themselves into this being some sort of um, conspiracy against them or some sort of thing that's up against their team. I think that uh, Kansas is, I think, pretty I would argue pretty plainly uh, uh, involved in this and uh, guilty of the uncivilly charges on this. The question is, how seriously do you think these charges should be taken in the first place? You know, we've talked about this before, Lauren, but the idea that the way this scandal is structured, uh, basically what the FBI found uh, was that shoe companies were essentially giving money to the players' families instead of giving them to the schools and the coaches like they're supposed to. <laughs> and that seems to me, I have a hard time... Uh, getting worked up with outrage about that scenario. So I think Kansas is guilty, uh, but I don't 
think that the crime is as, uh, and I think, frankly, not just, never mind what I think, I think uh, uh, industry-wide, people are seeing this crime as perhaps not as nefarious as perhaps the sport of college basketball uh, in general. So uh, to me, the, the interesting thing about this is uh, NCAA wants a scalp. North Carolina kind of is kind of floated on stuff. Lots of teams have floated on things, and uh, they want a scalp. And Self is now actively challenging them and begging and taking them on. It will be fascinating to see where that ends because now the NCAA kind of can't back down now, right? And neither can Self. Someone's going to lose big in this situation, whether it's the Hall of Fame coach or it's going to be the credibility of the NCAA to actually uh, uh, impose penalties that will stick. It will be a fascinating thing to see how this turns out. It's certainly a, uh, quite the way for this self thing to have turned out as someone that, of course, remembers his time in Champaign. Well, it looks like they're going to be making the rounds. They've already hit Georgia Tech. They're going to hit the, uh, North Carolina State. Louisville's on the docket. I think that uh, Arizona is going to be one of the next ones. It, it looks to me like they're going to go right down the line. I, I don't know how. Uh, I, I think you're going to have a lot of teams that are going to be out of an NCAA tournament at least one year, which is the case for Georgia Tech now. Don't you think that's? Yeah, a ca- I, I think so. I just, I think so. I think, but then this is the North Carolina thing, right? It's very easy to punish Georgia Tech and North Carolina State. It's a lot harder to punish North Carolina, who I think we could all argue probably had offenses that I would, I would say, not only are worse than this, but not nearly as widespread than this. But North Carolina is very powerful and has like a lot of powerful allies that maybe Georgia Tech doesn't, and maybe the North Carolina State doesn't. To me, this is why this Kansas thing is so fascinating to see self-actively kind of taking them on. A Hall of Fame coach at a signature blue-blood college basketball program. You know, Illinois fans, we're going to be be grousing uh, justifiably about the lack of institutional control thing uh, for years. But you know, that doesn't happen to the, like, North Carolina and Duke and Kansas don't get punished that way. <laughs> I think uh, there's the old Jerry Tarkanian uh, joke that, like, they were so mad at Louisville that they punished us. And I, and I think that you've seen that uh, in a lot of ways. That's why I think to see this collision between a premier program, what I'm afraid is going to happen is Kansas is going to find a way around this, but Georgia Tech's going to get hit, and North Carolina State's going to get hit. And I think that that just loosens up the credibility that NCAA has, and maybe should have uh, in the first place. Another couple of minutes with Will Leach, a U of I graduate. You pay particular attention to Illinois athletics. Your thoughts on this football team off this weekend with the open week, Back to action next week at uh, Minneapolis against Minnesota. Two and two on the season after that Saturday night loss to uh, Nebraska. Your thoughts on what you're seeing so far? Yeah, I mean, I I guess we're seeing a little improvement in some areas, and then the whack-a-mole comes up somewhere else, and you've got to knock that down. Uh, I think I, like a lot of people, was a little disturbed with how the first half ended uh, in the Nebraska game. I think that if you're Illinois, you need to uh, – to treat a moment like that as a way to put the foot on the neck rather than to be content. And I think that that's the worry, right? It's we're running out of time now. You know, I mean, I think that the, uh, the Eastern Michigan loss was frustrating, but a win against Nebraska, I think would have erased that. And I think put a lot of good feeling back. And I think that was a, that was a terrible game, but I mean, this is, again, this is, the, 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 when the defense is like this, and this is what Lovey said he was going to uh, to take charge of in the off season, there's reason to be concerned. I feel like there's a lot of positive things that we've seen this year, 
but I mean that doesn't matter if you don't get some wins and and I think that uh, uh, there's every reason I think for people to be very skeptical I think the program is in a better position than it was when Lovey Smith got here I don't think I frankly think there's no question about that uh, the question is whether that's enough and uh, the only way you're going to see that is if is if you see more wins and I I understand people's lack of patience and I've been very patient with Lovey and I think we should be I think this is a big job and I think he has improved it but uh, when you see things that have happened like to happen the last couple of weeks uh when people lose their patience uh, and you wonder okay we've given them this time is this getting better or is this getting fixed and i think the difference between those two questions will, will decide how this how this turns out this year well you know the narrative has changed last year Illinois was getting routed in these games we were upset because they're getting routed now they're losing games you know to eastern michigan and uh, and last week to nebraska Close games now, and and I I I saw this as exactly what would happen. I don't know which one, who's whether they're going to win or not, but I felt the games right. would be close this year, and I think I think we'll see a lot of that. I'm not saying that they'll be close against everybody because I you know Michigan might find itself, or who knows? I mean, it, it'll be hard to it'll be hard to handle Michigan and Michigan State, I'm sure, but Illinois has made the step from being routed to being a contender. And how do you finish in the fourth quarter when you're a contender when you haven't done it in the past? Yeah. That seems to be the problem now. The fourth quarters have just been disasters. Yeah, and the the problem is, is I'm sorry, but as you know, Lauren, narrative does matter. And the way people are watching this stuff does matter. And I agree. I think these last two games have been, in a lot of ways, coin flip games that could have gone Illinois' way. But now you've got Minnesota the next week, a right. team that uh, has kind of has actually made a habit of winning those games this year, right? Like that's how they that's how they have the record that they do because they well, yeah, against nobody. <laughs> yeah, mean, but whatever they've done it. I yeah, mean, I mean, they would yeah. say a lot of people would say Eastern Michigan would be nobody in that. I wouldn't, but but I think a lot of people from the outside would say that. I think if Illinois loses that game. Uh, this could get out of control fast because then you've got Michigan and then you've got Wisconsin uh, and then you've got not an easy game at Purdue. I think that's where this could start snowballing a little bit. That Minnesota game to me seems as pivotal as any game uh, of the Lovey Smith tenure. And, uh, and I'm rooting for him. I I think Lovey Smith is a, a good coach and a good person who represents the university I went to and am proud of very well. Uh, but I understand uh, uh, that uh, you can't lose six in a row in the year that everyone get, wants you to get a bowl, and you lose that Minnesota game. That that's potentially on the table. And if that happens, it's it's uh, I, I I think that that Whitman made the right decision to bring him in, and I think Lovey Smith has done good things for the program. But when that happens, I, I can certainly understand, not just locally, but nationally, uh, this really being able to turn against him a little bit. That's Will Leach. We appreciate your time as always, and. Uh... Should be a fun weekend baseball-wise and college football-wise as well. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, you got to follow that basketball thing because the next time we talk, we'll be talking basketball. Yeah, I can't. Well, don't worry. I've been. I've watched the whole YouTube videos of their games in Italy. Like I <laughs> okay. am way too into that now. So I'll be ready when you're ready for me. All right. right. Thanks, thanks for that. Thanks, Will. It is nine fifty-one. We'll take a time out and be back with more on Ipella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Phone line is open. 356-9397 here on DWS. Hi, this is Santi Rodriguez from Champaign Central High School's Boys Soccer. Listen to High School Confidential Mondays at 6 right here on News Talk 1400 WDWS. Well, my fellow Saturday Sports Talk rolls on here on DWS. 9.55 is the time. We're going to talk some more 
baseball regular season wrap-up playoff uh, preview with Bernie Miklas coming up at the uh, top of the hour. The phone line is open, 356-9397. Don't know if you've been thinking about uh, replacing any windows or doors in your home uh, recently, but if so, about a trip to the uh, Pella Window Store at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Mike Mary and the folks at Illini Pella have been assisting homeowners and businesses in central Illinois for well over 40 years, and they do things the right way. You know, there are a lot of things to consider when replacing windows and doors, things like security, comfort, convenience. The Pella Window Store has many examples on the showroom floor in several styles and price ranges, entry doors, sliding patio doors, hinged patio doors, storm doors, casement windows, double and single hung windows, sliding windows, all kinds of specialty windows as well. You'll find them all at the Pella Window Store on North Country Fair Drive. They're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, or Saturday by appointment. And you can check them out online as well at PellaOfChampagne.com. That's PellaOfChampagne.com for the Pella Window Store, Mike Mary, and Illini Pella Windows and Doors. With Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. High School Football action, week five, a lot of games. We'll run down some of the scores. If you um, miss any of these or want more information, the News Gazette on Saturday morning has a big three or four-page spread on high school sports and high school football. Champaign Central beat up Peoria Richwoods 28-14. Bloomington got by Urbana 58-7. to Got a phone call from Allen. Hang on, Allen. I'm going to run through these scores real quick. St. Thomas Moore beat Arantoul 14-10. Unity over Olympia 28-3. Monticello, a good win over Bloomington Central Catholic. That final was 21-14. Gibson City, Melvin Sibley over uh, Fisher 42-0. Tuscola 41, Clinton 8. Villa Grove Heritage over Cerro Gordo B. Mint 55-7. Seven. A couple of other scores. Mount Zion beat Muhammad Seymour 43-8. Uh, PBL over Moments, 44-7. And uh, Chillicothe IVC beat Prairie Central, 27-7. Some of the high school scores on this Friday night of busy high school football action. Let's go uh, back to the phones. And Alan in Montrose is with us. Go ahead, Alan. Morning, guys. Uh, you guys a little nervous about the Cardinals? A little bit, sure. Yeah. Not any more uh, so than when the season started. <laughs> They're doing a lot better than I thought they'd do. That's that's true to that point, but uh, their offense is so up and down, and it looks like they're on a down right now. They've been on a down but, for a while, uh, haven't they? Yeah, I mean. Hey, it's hard to hit that good. ball. <laughs> well, yeah. But there's other uh, teams can do it. Dodgers, the Twins, and yeah. a couple others, Yankees. Uh, football side, uh, what's going on with recruiting? I haven't heard a thing since uh, early August when we got a couple pretty decent recruits and i haven't heard a thing since i don't know if we've gotten any more or not they're way behind Illinois way behind in high school recruiting that's what you're talking about and they're just yeah. way behind as has happened every year i believe the last couple of years so, at least. we're gonna have another graduate year right well i hope so way you right. know i hope they can find some graduates i i hope they can find some transfers uh yeah but you know they don't they, they don't need them for next year. <laughs> they've got plenty of players for next year. They've got they'll have about as I've said this several times. They got about thirty seniors 
next year who up, up in this junior class, uh, assuming some don't leave or some might turn pro. Uh, the way that uh, Hayes is punting, I wonder if he'll stick around. He might be ready for the NFL. But um, Oh, he's just a junior? Yeah. They're all, you know, I say all. This, this is an overwhelming junior team, and that's <clears throat> why I think they'll be too, better. Right? Excuse me? Is McCord a junior too? Uh, uh, no, he's a senior. He's senior. Oh, McCord is? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I thought he had another year yet. Well, Boy, he's a talent. Yeah, he is. I, I think I'm right on that. I'm right, Steve. He's a senior, isn't he? I think so. I, yeah, we'll we'll check it out. But uh, well, those two guys are the best kicking tandem in the country, in my opinion. Uh, another thing is our defense is still the elephant in the room. Uh, we might be improving somewhat, but you still can't give up 700 yards and – Possibly our offense is not helping a whole lot because we're either scoring real quick or we're going three and out, seems like. Well, I don't I don't have an answer for you. The defense has been bad. I, Steve, I was looking up numbers here, and Illinois played 27 Big Ten games under Lovey. 27. He's been in charge of the defense the whole time. He's been coaching the, the secondary the whole time. He had a, a hand in everything that was done before he became – the full-time defensive coordinator mid-last season. Out of the 27 games, they've given up 40 points or more 14 times. That's half the time. 14 out of 27 games. You give up 40, the chances of winning about 1 in 100. And that's well, where yeah. they are. Uh, I just wonder why he doesn't change his philosophy a little bit because I never see any blitzing and I never see a defensive back play up on top of the Receivers, try something different anyway. Well, if you watch the film, they, they are doing some blitzing. It just hasn't been very effective. And I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I can tell you that uh, they've had some touchdown passes thrown against their, their single coverage, their man-to-man -man coverage, because they were blitzing. I know that because I, I saw that. But I, I just don't know what to tell you. I mean, I just I don't know – defensively they're they're not very efficient and that's that's the story of the, that's that's the problem i think defensive line is the main problem on defense i think it's the defensive opinion. line but, and the secondary <laughs> i well, think it's yeah. it's the secondary is not covering very well now i watch that too i think martin's been uh you know he's been burned several times and i just i just don't and then they've had the this uh this turnaround with all the, the different safeties they've had to use because of injuries. And uh, I, I just don't know what's – all I can tell you is that when they play Minnesota, I think everybody will be back in the secondary. I think they'll have all their players. Of course, Beeson won't be back all season, but I think they'll have everybody ba back. I think they will. They don't have any injuries this next week. And, uh, you know, they, they, they just have to show that they can stop the pass when the, when the pressure's on. Well, let's uh, see what happens. Okay, Alan. Hey, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Yep, 10.02 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We'll be back with hour number two of Alana Ipella Saturday Sports Talk. In just a moment, stay with us. We'll talk with Bernie Miklas up next. It's the second hour of Alana Ipella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397. Or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the show. Second hour of the Lanai Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock, 356-9397. By the way, Illinois kicker James McCourt is a junior. We thought he's been around a while. He's, he's been four years, but yeah. uh, of course he transferred in, but I, I, I didn't realize he had another year after this. So that uh, is the story on that. We're going to talk some more baseball. Bernie Miklas from St. Louis is on the line with us. Good morning, Bernie. Steve, Lauren, how you fellas? We're doing good. wonder how you're doing. Uh, you told us back when the Blues were down to the uh, nitty-gritty in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you were having a hard time staying focused and uh, nervous. How are you feeling about the, uh, the Redbirds on this final weekend of the regular season? I, I don't know. I, I think my opinion is very similar to just about everybody. I, uh, I'm disappointed that they made it more difficult uh, than, than it should have been. And I don't know. Look, they went to after sweeping the Cubs. They went to Arizona, and I thought played a really tough-minded game on Monday night. But that's when it ended. They, they, uh, it's like they had a delayed letdown. It didn't happen the day after, but two days after the end of the Cubs series. You know, I, I thought losing both of those games in Arizona was just, uh, just awful. It never should have happened. I mean, you, you can give them one loss, but. How the heck do you go 19 innings and score two runs? I mean, that, that's pretty damn hard to do. I don't care who you are. I mean, that's the worst team that ever lived, you would think, could do better than that. So uh, that was really bad because then, then of course, that set up uh, set up the next day's loss where the bullpen was shot. And, you know, Friday night last night, more of the same. You know, a Cubs team, I thought they'd have a little pep to them because – they just got humiliated by the Cardinals and humiliated by losing nine in a row. And But to come in here, you know, and I know they like to ruin the Cardinals' chance to win a division, of course, but, but to come in here and, and uh, you know, win a game in a route that with a basically a, a spring training B-game lineup, I mean, it's pretty embarrassing, actually. So, as you can tell, I'm kind of grumpy about all this. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Cardinals' offense is just so bad. I mean, it's so so bad. And uh, and, and I and as you guys know, because we talk all the time, that that was one of my biggest concerns from you know May on. They just don't have a, have a good offense. It's it's incredibly inconsistent. Well, you know, the, Bernie, they talk about blowing up the Cubs because uh, you know they're disappointed with the nine game losing streak here at the end. I I, I wonder if the Cardinals don't need to have their line. I think it all comes back to pitching anyway, and if the Cubs keep their lineup very well intact and get some pitching, they'll be hard to handle. I don't. The Cardinals don't have the hitting. I don't think to win it again next year. Now, if they can get Hicks back, if they can get the pitching straightened out, I, I maybe they can. I guess they're proving it this year. But this is not a good hitting team. I don't think. I mean, look at the percentage. Look at the averages. What What do you see uh, analytically, offensively, what they've done? Well, it, I can tell you their problem, and, it, and it's actually it's really simple. Uh, it's easy to explain. Um, we saw the problem again last night. If they go up against a pitcher who doesn't throw 94-95 and who doesn't build his whole, whole game around the fastball, this, this guy that's now pitched great against them twice, the guy for the Cubs, and I'm forgetting his name, Alec, uh, whatever his last name was. Mills. I'm sorry. I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I honestly forgot. You know, two two starts in a row, we saw him handcuff these guys. He doesn't throw a pitch higher than 90, 91 miles an hour. 
this is statistically, statistically the worst team in the majors at hitting everything except a fastball. Like if you add all the other pitches up combined, the Cardinals are the worst hitting team against all of those pitches, all of the stuff, what do you call it, breaking balls, off speed, can't hit a changeup. So the other team knows this, and I was watching the game last night with my, my wife, and I was saying, you know, I don't know why these managers don't set up the rotation when they play the Cardinals to, to keep their hard throwers out, out of the rotation if possible because the Cardinals simply can't handle anybody that is what I would call a soft tosser. And um, I don't know what it says about their intelligence level, and this isn't the first time I've said this. I've said it on my own radio show. When you know that the other team understands you're going to be hunting fastballs and your whole success is predicated on hitting a fastball, they're not going to give you the fastballs when you want them. And it it amazes me. We're sitting here at the end of the season, basically, and they still haven't adjusted to what the other team's doing to them. I I don't know what that says about their intelligence. I don't know what it says about their batting coach, but it's something that's, to me – really an annoying problem because it's been there all season and it's like at some point you know you think they could get it resolved uh or at least change their approach well they've had a few guys maybe that changed their maybe wong has changed his approach do you see that i mean right i mean carpenter yeah. obviously uh hasn't and and has suffered as a result and ozuna i don't know what's going on with him do they take do they keep him or not Zero chance, especially if, first of all, I didn't think there was a chance anyway. I, I, I never understood the chatter about how, you know, maybe they can find a way to keep him. He he really, other than a couple of hot streaks, he, he really hasn't done all that much. And then when they really need him, I mean, they need him now. He's just disappeared, basically. I mean, his 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 numbers since around August 25th or so are, are just, you look, if I told you what they were, I don't have them in front of me, you would think I made a mistake. They're that bad. And he's trying to yank everything out of the ballpark. In fact, Ozuna represents exactly what I'm talking about. He can't hit anything off speed. And he's so over-anxious at the plate. He's trying to hit everything, pull it, and hit it two miles. And 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 pitchers exploit that. So he's been awful. And I, I tell you what, the thing that frustrates me is that Bader's a strikeout machine. Dexter Fowler had been great for, really done great for a while. I mean, really had. And I was in his corner, and I still am. I'm, it's not like I'm not it. I don't believe he, he you know, he, I believe he can help the team going forward. But he seems like he's out of gas or something because his September has been rough. They got a guy, and then we, we know that Ozuna at this point, you know, if he does anything at all, I'll be stunned in these final two games. But they have a guy, Randy Rosarina, who who I think actually might be. If you look at the skill set, the way he plays the game, everything else, he may be their best outfielder. And he can't get a start. He he plays the other day only because he went 19 innings the night before, and he did everything you would ask a player to do. I I, I don't understand as much as I think Schilt's done a heck of a job this year. Uh, he's a little slow on the draw. That's the one thing I have. He's a little slow on the draw to recognize that player A is a liability and player B ought to get a chance. You know, And I know it's the last week of the season, so I, I don't know how many managers would bench a starter to play a kid, but I'll be damned if I wouldn't try to play Randy or Rosarina because he's an exciting all-around talent. And I hope he doesn't get lost in the shuffle next year. I think he needs to play a lot next year. I think he's really good. Well, I, I just think it's interesting that everybody talks about the Cubs blowing their team up, and 
and I'm thinking maybe maybe the Cardinals should blow theirs up. Not, I mean, you can't get enough pitching. I don't care what you say. You can't get enough of it. Look where they are right now. We, when, they, when they take Wayne right out today, tonight, who do they put in? Well, see, and that's the, that's the other thing. Part two, the bullpen has been outstanding all year long, but I've, I've written this in The Athletic and talked about it and – the the warning signs have been there for a little while though. I mean they their their ERA, the bullpen ERA in September is really high, and and guys that they really need to come through. I'm not talking about fringe guys. I'm talking about Andrew Miller, for example. Uh, John Brebia would qualify. I mean e- even Gallegos, who's who's clearly tired. Uh, there's there's about three or four key relievers that they really need to need really you know they need consistently good performances from that have been really hit or miss i mean andrew miller especially so the bullpen's tired and they've kind of paid the price for two things not getting a lot of innings from their starters earlier in the year and the other thing is that if you ask you know people wonder if if they don't know like why is milwaukee made this run after yelich went down and if the run started before Yelich went down, and that should tell you something. It's all been done based on pitching. I mean, not last night. They got gave up a bunch of runs at Colorado, but they have pitched better than any team in Major League Baseball this month. They have the lowest ERA. They, they've been phenomenal, and their bullpen was rebuilt on the fly, and their bullpen in September, Milwaukee's, has been phenomenal. And that's not an accident either. If you think about it, you know, their, their front office went out and got a starting pitcher who's been better than anybody else, uh, any other acquisition at the deadline. I'm talking about Jordan Lyles. He's been amazing. And then they also added three bullpen guys. And, you know, t- two of the three have done an exceptional job, especially that Drew Pomerantz, the lefty. So, you know, the Cardinals didn't make a move, as we know, at the deadline. And I and I, my attitude was, yeah, get a starting pitcher. That didn't hurt him until the other day, but it hurt him because Walker had to leave the game, and then they had to cut after the 19-inning game the night before. They had to cover a bunch of innings, and they didn't have the bullpen to do it. Um, and things blew up on them late in that later in that game. But but the other thing is, I said. Look, even if you don't get a starter, you can never have enough relievers. And your bullpen the last three summers has fallen apart towards the end of the season out of, out of fatigue. And Milwaukee is an example of, of that, that bromide. You can never have enough relief pitchers. And the Cardinals, even if Mozeliak had just added a reliever or two, those guys would look pretty damn good down there right now, in my opinion. Speaking with uh, Bernie Miklas, let's go to the phones. Uh, Marty's been standing by in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Go ahead, Marty. Morning, Steve, Lauren, and morning, Bernie. Hey, Marty. Can I say amen, Bernie? Because (laughs) I do not understand why Randy Rosarina is not playing. The other day he stole home, hit a home run, had like three hits, threw a guy out with a laser trying to get to third base, and they can't play him? And this it's, guy right uh, now is a better player than Harrison Bader. I hate I to say that. I don't think there's any question. All, all, all around, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, he, he doesn't walk as much as other guys, but he puts the ball in play, which this team dearly needs. And I'll make another point on that. And this is another place where I think the coaching staff makes a mistake. Mills had an ERA over five in, I'll admit, a hitter-friendly Pacific Coast League. 
Edmonds has seen him before because he was with Memphis, and they play Iowa. They're in the same division, and Edmonds hits him really well. And I'll bet you a Rosarina has a good slash line against him too. These guys that see these AAA pitchers that come up, I've already seen them, have a much better chance of adjusting to them, and I don't know why they don't play them. Upsets. It's a, it's, you know, if I, I don't have this in front of me. I, 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 in fact, when I get off the phone with you guys, I'm going to maybe look, take a minute to look this up. It only take me a minute. Uh, I, I would be surprised if you look at the, the Cardinals' entire outfield the month of September. You just put all their statistics together. Oh, uh, if, this, if this isn't, this has got to be maybe. I'd be surprised Bernie. if it's not it's not the least productive outfield in the yeah. major. Let, let me cut in here, Bernie. You said that yeah. several months ago. I remember yeah. when I asked you what's the biggest problem the Cardinals. You said, "Well, the outfield's not very solid." I remember that way back. And Bader was good. Bader was good for a while when he came up, yep. came back yep. from Memphis. But now he's doing the same thing. That got him sent down. And again, I, I Dexter. If Dexter Fowler had been moved into the leadoff hole earlier, they could have taken more advantage of that. But I, yep. my concern yep. is that he's he's out of gas right now. I mean, and that happens. And Azuna, and Azuna is just can't. I hate to say yep. this about an athlete, but the way he takes his at bats right now. He looks like a guy who cannot handle pressure of a of a of a, of a big moment, a big pennant race. He's up there hacking at everything. So it's like, um, it's uh, it's really disappointing because when you when you can't get and De Young has not been very good either. We can't you're talking about offensively. He's he's hacking at everything. So when you've got you know your four, five, six hitters, no matter like it depends on who's playing. De Young De Young now bat seven. When you got runners on and they can't do anything, I mean that that that's a killer. And Goldsmith's had a really good month overall. In fact, he's had a good second half. But he came up empty last night. That would have been a different game had the Cardinals broke through early and put some runs on the board. The Cubs would have packed it in after that. But but the Cardinals let them hang around because their offense is so putrid. And if you let any team hang around, even if they were playing a Triple A team, and eventually they'll say, "Hey, we got a chance to win this thing." And they went out and took advantage of a tired Cardinals bullpen. Got anything else, Marty? Like three guys, Wong, and and he's injured now. Edmonds and Molina that have made a lot of clutch hits. The rest of the team has been spotty at best. Yep. Well, and I, I the thing of it is, I, I got to go to the confessional. Might as well do it on your show as well. But, <laughs> Uh, I didn't know what to make of Tommy Edmond, and I was a skeptic. I, I really was, and I really I was. didn't understand. Yeah, and I, and I really didn't understand why Schilt was batting him lead off all. And, and I'm like, okay, the more he plays, though, it's pretty obvious this guy's a really talented ball player and a really smart ball player. And I, again, this sounds personal. I don't mean it that way. I don't think when it comes to an offensive approach that this is a very smart team. I, I'll just leave it at that. And yeah. who's, the, who's, yeah. who's the shining light? Who takes the best at bats? It's Tommy Edmond. He certainly and, does. So I, and I think that tells you a lot about the other guys. It tells you a lot about him, but it tells you a lot about the other guys, too. In, in spring training, Bernie, the two guys I noticed that really made a splash with me were Carlson and Edmond. I thought they were the two best guys in spring training. Now, spring training, spring training, I get that. But there's a lot yeah. of talent, those two guys, a lot. Well, we'll we'll see Carlson next year, probably in June, because they'll play the 
they'll play the yep. contract game and so sure, they don't, sure. so they don't burn a, a, a year, you know, so they can keep them from free agency and an extra season. So they'll play games with that the way the Cubs did with Brian and the way a lot of these teams do. Um, well, do me, do me a favor and get a Rosarina in the game in the next couple of days, would you? I'd like to see him out there tonight, but um, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's just Schultz, uh, Schultz sticks with his guys. And he reaches a point in time where he'll make the switch, but he only yeah, has two regular season games. He's loyal. He's very <laughs> kind of loyal. Late, you know, so. <laughs> uh, but I, but I uh, is he that's bad. Thank you, Marty. I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, Marty. I enjoy talking to you. I'll let, I'll let you guys go. I'm monopolizing time. But I, I when I heard you talk about Rosarina, I had to jump on because so I'm like, thank God someone is noticing. Thanks for the call, Marty. Appreciate it as always. Yep. Take care, guys. So, Bernie, if you're in the prediction business, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen uh, tonight and tomorrow? I think Wainwright wins tonight. And I think usually I don't go for this kind of thing. I admit it. But I, I, I think that team gets fired up playing behind them. And I, I think they know Wainwright on the mound uh, at Bush Stadium is a pretty special thing. So I would I would think they would come out with a little more life and jump on uh, Cubs pitcher early and get get a few runs on the board for Wainwright. He he gets tremendous run support and I think that says something. So uh, I expect a much better result tonight. I can't I, I can't predict anything about Sunday because uh, a lot of it depends on who will pitch Sunday. I mean it's a right. situation where they would have to get Wayno out of there early maybe. Schultz goes to Michaelis early, uh, and then he'd have to start Flaherty tomorrow. Um, I, I know they like to avoid starting Flaherty, but that's a great question. It's a hypothetical question. What do you do? I, I think if if you lose tonight, you probably have to start Flaherty. Although Michaelis has been very good uh, and very good at home this year, so it's not a bad situation. But I, but if they if they do indeed wrap this up and win the division, and maybe Colorado will help them some more this weekend. Um, you know, you'd love to have Jack Flaherty start in game one, you know, so that's, uh, they're, they're in a bit of a jam here. And that's why I get back to where we were at the beginning of the conversation. That's why I was so frustrated and annoyed by them handing two ball games away in Arizona. I mean, it really put them, it's not just the wins and losses and the standings, but it also affects what, what happens next. It, it affects who would start the wild card game or, who would start game one of the NLDS? There are, there are waves of repercussions that go beyond the standings. And that's, you can't lose two, two out of three out there. You can lose one. You can't lose two out of three. If they just won one of those, one more of those games, they'd be fine. We, you know, we probably wouldn't be as on edge as we all are, but it, that's just was uh, very disappointing because it really messed things up for them in terms of their planning also gave Milwaukee more hope, which is a dangerous thing because that's a really good team that's pitching its brains out right now. Well, I think the main thing is I, I, they wouldn't play again till if they win the division. They wouldn't play again till Thursday. Is that right? Yes. Right. Well, that's right. Then I'd do everything I could. To, that's a lot. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they can rest. You know, that's that, I, maybe you can't start uh, Flaherty in the first game, but he'd be able to pitch two games in the series, and that's all that would matter with me. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, that's a really good point, a really good question, too, how they'll play this if if it comes to that. But I, I know what they're hoping for. Wayne Wright pitches a great game tonight. The hitters wake up and quit, quit gagging on their uh, pregame snack. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, 
the, the Rockies give them give them another another lift tonight. So maybe it all becomes elementary sometime later tonight, fellas. We'll see. That's Bernie Miklas in St. Louis. We appreciate your time always. Thank you. Thanks, Bernie. I'm, I'm starting to sound like an Illinois football fan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking football with you before long. <laughs> I'll see you guys. Take care. You bet. Bernie Miklas with us here on the Illini Pellas Saturday Sports Talk. At 1025, we'll take a break and be back with more after this. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Well, I Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until the 11 o'clock hour. Again, no Illinois football this weekend. It's one of two open weeks on the uh, season schedule this week or this season. You mentioned open weeks, and that brings up something I was going to throw at you today. Okay. Everybody, Alabama's a really good football team. Maybe the best in the country, maybe not. We'll see. They, they might win, you know, they're, they're a contender every year for the national championship. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you, they schedule so carefully, it's unbelievable. Now, they start the season with 56 points against Mercer. They beat Mercer, Duke, and, North, and, and New Mexico State. But what I'm getting around to is, is the day off. They play today against Ole Miss, Okay. Tough game for them. It's a game they got to win in their league. And then they're idle before they play Texas A&M. And then they play Tennessee and Arkansas, who are both really bad teams. And then they're idle before they play LSU. And then they play Mississippi State. And before they play Auburn, they're not idle. They play Western Carolina. (laughs) Did you see what I just – I I mean, every time they've got a big game, and I would consider A&M is a big game for them, I would consider LSU a big game for them. I would consider Auburn a big game for them. And every time before that game, they're either idle or playing a team that is is no contest. I just think it's interesting to me how they're able to do something that no Big Ten team can do, and that is schedule themselves through the season, not just in the beginning, not just in the month of September, which Big Ten teams play a lot of weak teams in September, but once the season gets starts, the Big Ten is basically playing tough games almost every week. I know Iowa's got a game today that doesn't matter, but I'm, I'm just saying that majority of these teams, nobody in the country, I don't think, maybe, maybe Clemson, has a schedule like this where they can spot right before their big games and an open week to, to prepare. Now, the other thing I want to bring up to you that nobody ever talks about, last night Arizona State beat Cal 24-17. You know what that did to the Pac-12? They don't have any undefeated teams now. Not one. They're out of the playoffs, which tells me one thing. They're going to be hard after an eight-team playoff from that, at least the opinions from those people out there, they're going to be pushing hard the Pac-12 to try to get eight teams in so they can at least get their champion in every year. Right. Because they can't – I mean, they're so bad. I, I know that they're not as – apparently not as good as uh, – they don't belong in the top four. But Maybe they don't belong in the top eight either. Well, maybe not. But, but you know, a, 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 a league with Washington and Oregon sure. and USC, I mean, they deserve to have a team in the playoffs. So if you went to eight, mm-hmm. I don't think you could deny them. And um, here they are, Cal. You know, Cal was undefeated, but they, nobody took them seriously. I mean, they, they'd won some really good games, but uh, here we are. Arizona State knocked them off last night. Interesting stuff, and uh, it, it's hard to keep track in, of the 
Pac-10 games and they're so late and they're playing. Yeah, they are. Different and, nights of the week. And Washington and, State losing 67 to 63. The with other. no overtime. <laughs> and I'm complaining because uh, <laughs> Lovey's given up. No. And I'm complaining because Lovey's given up 40 <laughs> points uh, you know, in too many games. And, and here UCLA scored, Steve, they scored 50 points in the last 20 minutes. 50 points. Think about that. 50 points in the last 20 minutes. It'd be hard to do that if there wasn't anybody playing defense, <laughs> and there probably and there wasn't anybody no, playing. Were, well, you know what did it? Turnovers. That that, that just kills you. Uh, Leach must have been going crazy because they, they yeah, I mean, they kept turning it over and giving you another chance, and all they had to do is control the football. They had a, I think they had a forty-nine to seventeen lead. Was that the score? Was it forty-nine? I think, to, I think it was forty-nine to seventeen, and then they blew it. But. Anyway, the Pac-12 is just in a, in a really bad position once again. And guess who's playing each other today? USC's playing Washington. One of them has to lose. And the one that loses is definitely out, and the one that wins isn't going to make it e- either anyway. So they're just out of luck. So this conversation started with the open week, and uh, Illinois has Where'd that. I go from there, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> Illinois has another one in November, actually, between a couple of road games. But um, so they practiced – Early in the week, then they gave the guys off. The coaches went out and did some recruiting. Yeah, and they'll get them back. And uh, then Monday will. Do Sunday you actually think be there's the anything going on, Steve? We, I don't know. I'm just asking the question with Isaiah Williams at quarterback. Do you think there's anything going on there? You think they're just fully committed to Peters? I think they are, but I'm asking a question. I was surprised that they put Isaiah Williams in the Nebraska game after they did not put him in in any of the first three games. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an unusual time, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he didn't really do much. It didn't look like they wanted him to do much. I, I don't know. It, just it, was just like one, it was one special play. It was a trickery play of some kind and didn't work. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think that, that they're planning anything special with Williams, but I'm, I, am, I think it's worth asking the question. I, I don't think, think so. we're going to get an answer. I don't, they're not going to tell us. I mean, they've got two weeks to prepare for Minnesota. They're going to prepare some things. Uh, they're going to do, try to make some changes. I know uh, I did, we, you and I, we did see uh, Rod Smith this week. We didn't get to interview him. But, uh, you know, he's, he's an unhappy camper right now. I mean, he's not happy with what's going on. I mean, that, they, they complete. I, I told you that the last 12 passes that Illinois threw against Nebraska netted three yards. Two completions, one for one yard and one for two yards. They couldn't protect him, and he couldn't find the receivers. I mean, that's the story of that game at the end. Go back to the phones and welcome Tom to the show. Hey, Tom, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, uh, people talk about the defense needing to make adjustments, but to me, uh, uh, the adjustment right now you need to make is on offense and not running plays as fast as you can because this team – the defense can play okay at times, but they get exposed if they're on the field for too much. And there's no reason why you couldn't come to the line of scrimmage like they do and then wait and look and take an extra 30 seconds off the clock between each play. Plus, we run the ball a lot. Every time you run the ball, you know, that pretty much runs the clock. To me, that would be something they could implement right now. You could still make your offense work if you waited in between plays, and that would really help the defense by limiting the amount of time they're on the field. That's a consideration. I don't think that's something that they want to do. I think that they want to run the offense in, in, a, in a, 
have a good rhythm and and once it gets moving i i don't think that there's any intention to to run clock i don't i don't know anybody that does that yeah but uh i I can tell you what the offense wants to do that but the people on defense don't you know yeah i I understand what you're saying i mean i just don't think that offensively that they don't think that way yeah but the head coach is a defensive guy he might I don't know. I just I think it's something to consider. I know Rod really wants to go fast, but I mean honestly, this for this team to win four more Big Ten games, I think they you've got to recognize that your defense can get some turnovers, but it it can't be on the field like it was against Nebraska. It's just going to wear out, and sometimes you got to change things to make yourself win. You know, I don't know if they'll. They, I mean, Rod Smith's not going to do it unless Lovey Smith tells him you got to do it. But well, that's right. Something to think about. But you know, the big problem—the big problem—is the third down. I mean, that's when games are won and lost. Uh, Illinois was one out of eleven. They they converted one third down play out of eleven, and uh, Nebraska converted eleven out of nineteen. <laughs> and once you you know they they uh, when they drop back to pass, I, I I'm just telling you that when everybody drops back to pass against Illinois, I cringe. Because Illinois cannot play good pass defense, hasn't for years, and isn't this year. And I don't think they will. I, <clears throat> I, I agree. That's certainly not a strength of the team. Um, <laughs> that's I saying, think, uh, that's, uh, yes, that's the least. Of, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. But I think, like, Trayvon Sidney, I thought he was going to be someone that could get open underneath. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I don't know, maybe they can utilize him more. And the, the other thing, too, that people are forgetting is if Luke Ford had been eligible, this team would be four and zero right now. Well, he'd be a huge. He'd be a huge. Uh, is he going to play? Uh, right is he going to play defense in the secondary? How's, how no, are we going to win games if we can't stop? You know, if you can't stop the other team from scoring, and I don't think Luke Ford is that much better than 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 Barker right now. Barker's a pretty good tight end, but they don't throw to him. I did. They throw to him Ford, last week. Ford's better than Barker. I think he's taller and. He's just such a – he's the kind of guy that you can just throw it up in the air and he's going to catch it. He's so big and strong. I mean, I just – I don't know. I mean, we lost the games by one possession, and I think you're going to get more of those third-down conversions if you know that tight end's going to go to the middle of the field and just turn and just throw the ball up there and he's going to catch it. Well. Hey, hey, Tom, good point. Appreciate the call. Let's uh, go from Tom right. to uh, Frank. Hey, Frank, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, Chancellor Jones was on Penny for Your Thoughts yesterday, and I was very disappointed with his comments. Um, first, he, he uh, talked about Native American imagery instead of Chief Illiniwick, but uh, to me, um, until somebody like Manny Jackson or Jerry Colangelo uh, goes and, and talks with the Peoria tribe and comes back and, and tells the American or the Illini nation that uh, uh, there's no way of, of uh, negotiating with the Peoria tribe to use uh, uh, Chief Illini record. Uh, I, I just never will give up uh, on, on that, and I know many people that uh, won't, and I know many people that wish that we, we would. But uh, I, I don't uh, really trust the administrators over at the university, and I know that Cantor at one time said that uh, they tried to negotiate with the Peoria tribe. But I think that uh, people like Manny Jackson and, and Colangelo and maybe Lauren could uh, go along to 
uh, report actually what what takes place. But I, that in my mind, that's what needs to happen. There's and zero also, chance that the chief is ever coming back. Zero. Well, and in, I, in I, mind, I would love it. We shouldn't. I'm just telling you, zero. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. Well, if if uh, Florida State can do it, and uh, uh, Central Michigan can do it, and others others have done it, so we ought to be able to do it. Not coming back here, but I I, yeah. I, I wish you all the luck in the world. But by the way, there's a big there's a big meeting tonight. Are you going to it? Well, I wish it, I would. I'm Papa I'm Dells. Too far away. You should be there. I, the uh, and and before we fire any more coaches uh, and put our basketball and football programs behind an, another decade, we ought to look at firing the administrators who won't look at at uh, using the NCAA uh, admission standards. Uh, we just we we can't compete against people that that uh, have the better players against us and and. Uh, I, I also think that they ought to be thinking about any other obstacles that we have. And uh, uh, I, I'm wondering about athletes that uh, we could have gotten to the University of Illinois except for the admission standards. Well, it, it wouldn't matter now because the the trend has been set and Illinois' place has been established in, in the football hierarchy and it's way down toward the bottom. And, uh, and the one thing that one thing that really makes you stand up and think about it is, is Illinois played Iowa last year right here, and what was the what was the crowd the actual the the, the turnstile fourteen thousand. I don't care what they announced thirty thousand. I don't care. The uh, actual people that walked through the turnstile was fourteen thousand. When you're there, you're dead, and that's where we are right now with a fan base. We're dead. Well, I I get a kick. I I grew up in the 60s and 70s and uh we didn't have a very good team in in that uh, time span and i remember going to the games and and what did you do you you stayed until uh the band and and the chief performed and then you left <laughs> yeah so thank you gentlemen i i just think that uh, uh we're we're talking about the wrong people when we talk about firing coaches okay frank appreciate the call thank, thank you very much Three five six nine three nine seven is the number. We'll keep the phone lines open. We'll take a break. Be back with more on Ipella Saturday Sports Talk after this. It is ten forty three on Saturday Sports Talk, presented by the fine folks at Illini Pella Windows and Doors with Lawrence Aid. I'm Steve Kelly. Phone line is open here for the next. Uh, 16 or 17 minutes if you'd like to jump in 356-9397 is the number six games on the big 10 football schedule today illinois not one of those teams playing today with that open week illinois basketball practice gets going next week a lot of teams are already underway illinois is uh, purposely put it off by about a week to get uh, the full team practices uh, going because they had those 10 practices earlier this summer. You, you know, they have what they call skill drills. Right. Those look like practices <laughs> to me. I went to the skill drill the other day. It was a practice. That's what it was. Right. Now, they were emphasizing defense. It was almost exclusively defense, but that's what Illinois needs to work on. I mean, I don't know. I say work on. They need to change some things. I, I'm not sure how Underwood is going to go about it, but he's got a plan. 
and you know he's like he said he wasn't born yesterday he knows where the problem was yeah but it's interesting because a lot of teams talk about how difficult it is to play illinois the way they play uh-huh um, maybe that's offensively too obviously you, you got to defend that but uh the fact that he's talking about tweaking his defense which i guess is a little bit unusual as well um interests me i, I wonder how he'll go about that well, you got to play hard on the perimeter and not give up layups behind. Right. And, and that's the problem. Illinois gave up too many layups last year. Number one, they let guys in. And number two, they had nobody to guard the basket. They still don't. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Kofi Coburn is a shot blocker necessarily. He, he'll get a few, but he's not a, he's not a quick twitch jumper. Well, I mean, he might be a... Uh, he's a... A he's shot a big body. alterer. <laughs> yeah, he might be. Because <laughs> he's he a big, big lad in there. But, you know, uh, th- this whole thing, I mean, we're going to be talking and talking and talking about this. How do you play those two guys together? Nobody plays two centers on the same team anymore. I mean, I say nobody, and somebody will say, well, what about so-and-so? Well, of course. But out of uh, 300 schools, there aren't very many. That well, you and I talked off the air last week about can we think of a time when Illinois did that? I looked it up. And you know what well, the most interesting thing was? Of course, I go back all the way to Peterson and Kerr because Peterson played on a NCAA team in 1951. Kerr became eligible in 52, and they played together. And that was two back-to-the-basket centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a long time ago, but they were 22-4 and four and went to the Final Four that year. So it was a good team, and, and, but that was a way back. But, but when um, uh, Shelly Clark played alongside of uh, Dion. Dion, and uh, two years of that. And, of course, uh, big George Montgomery played alongside uh, Ephraim Winters, mm-hmm. and there were two years of that where they were very so – had 51 wins in two years. But uh, Brian Cook played with three different centers when, during his four years at Illinois. The last year he played with the first year of Augustine. Is that right? No, that's not right. That is not right. He did not play with Augustine, did he? Uh, he played with Archibald. Archibald. Right. And so anyway, he, he had a – there were times when Illinois had two centers in the game. If you consider Brian Cook a center, which I did in, high, in college. Right. But now, uh, will this thing work with, uh, with Georgie moving out? Moving, you know, alongside uh, Kofi, I don't. I I think what he's thinking. This is my opinion. I think he's planning on about fifteen to twenty minutes a game with both of them in the game. I don't think that they will both be in the game more than that. Isn't that enough? Don't you think? Yes, I think it's enough. And yeah. I think at other times they'll be substituting for each other. Sure. I think there'll be another twenty minutes when one of them will be in. Yeah. But the other one won't. So and that just gives you so more looks. I see Georgie playing thirty minutes. I see him playing 15 to 20 minutes with Kofi, and the rest he'll be, you know, and sometimes he'll be on the bench, he'll be rested because Underwood believes in resting his players more than I do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just think that, that that's the big question right now is how do you establish a de- – do you go to zone when you have both of them in there? Do you, do you play, can you play man-to-man with both of them in there? I don't know. What else did you see at the skill workout well, they, they just uh, all I saw was work on defense, and and he's really working uh, uh, both the big guys hard at at coming out to guard because you know there's going to be uh, switches required 
defensively, and you're going to have to guard on the perimeter some. And Georgie's going to have to guard on the perimeter some. There's, and so will Kofi because they'll force it. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if he's playing man-to-man against the center and the center comes out and sets a pick, then there's a, you know, he, he, he may have to switch. So I don't know if a 288-pound guy can, can guard on the perimeter. That's going to be hard. And I don't know how good he is anyway. Everybody's assuming that he's really, really good. I don't know that. He's a freshman. Centers usually get better, and I wouldn't want to trade him. I think it's great to have a five-star player on your team, but I don't know how good he will be initially, and I, I'm worried about foul trouble. He's very physical, and you know uh, Georgie, Georgie had ten disqualifications last year. Five, that's five fouls. Well, how many will Kofi have this year? He'll foul out some. Sure. A couple other basketball notes. The game time for that Bragging Rights game was yeah. set this week at noon. Nooner. On Saturday, December the 21st, I think it is, down in uh, St. Louis. And coming up on Monday Night Sports Talk of the Esquire, Georgie Bashanisvili and Io DeSumu both will join us yep. at the Esquire. So if you're out and about uh, Monday in the 5 o'clock hour, 5 to 6, stop by and see us. We'll talk some more here in just a moment. We'll take a break and be right back. Ten fifty-two on Illinois Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren uh, doing some stationary jogging during the break. <laughs> we were getting, ready, to, getting ready for the marathon. Tried to stay loose. That, <laughs> that brought up some running stories and our earlier days on uh, the road. And Lauren running a ten-miler in Hawaii. I'm getting a cramp. And running fast downhill, then forgetting <laughs> that he had to go back uphill. <laughs> I ran the St. Louis Marathon in 1983. I got to the 20-mile mark, and I, you could see the finish because you were up. Come on. Yeah, you were up. So you had six more miles, but it was all, <laughs> but it was all downhill. That's some Monticello to be meant for guys. I said, this is cake. Well, it wasn't cake. <laughs> but I finished, then got on a bus and rode back to Champaign-Urbana, and then that's when I cramped up. <laughs> And uh, those were days when we thought we were athletes, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> what was I thinking? I don't know what we were thinking. But uh, <laughs> last night, if you missed it, Penn State all over Maryland, 59 to nothing in Big Ten play. Today, Rutgers plays at number 20, Michigan. One of those coaches, maybe both, one of those coaches is not going to be at that school next year. Well, I don't, it, I don't. You don't think Harbaugh's going to leave you? I don't. But I mean, unless he decides to leave, right. he might. He might become discouraged. I mean, he's unpredictable. The one thing about Harbaugh is, after no matter where he is, after he's been there a few years, it grows old yep. somehow. Michigan, a twenty-seven point favorite in the ball game. Number fourteen, Iowa has a non-league game against Middle Tennessee. Northwestern is at Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, a 24-point favorite playing at home. Michigan State is ranked 25th. They're a two-touchdown choice over Indiana this afternoon. The Minnesota-Purdue game is a pick'em. That's a 2:30 game in West Lafayette. And number five, Ohio State, plays at Nebraska tonight at 6:30. 17-point favorite for the Buckeyes. But the last couple of years, they've had a one-game road stinker. And they're trying to not have that happen this time. Yeah, they've they've had that when Purdue and Iowa quote yeah. snuck up on them. Right. 
I don't think Nebraska's sneaking up. I, I think that you've got all the excitement of the uh, Corso gang and out there, and you know they're jumping up and down all day long. And and this uh, Ohio State's going to be alerted to the possibility here. Plus, the, the history of this these schools is you know they're two of the winningest schools in the history of football, and I think Ohio State will be ready for this one. But I, the other thing I will say is. Nebraska's got to cut down on the turnovers. I mean, they've made some mistakes in this season that have really hurt them. And they could have lost the Illinois game based on turnovers. Four turnovers is too many. Yep. And Illinois had they gave Illinois a real chance in that game, but Illinois couldn't take advantage of it. But still, it was only a four. Well, they fumble. took advantage of three of the four fumbles. They scored right. touchdowns. Right, and, 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 and it was a, a 42-38 game. I mean, it wasn't like it was a route. But, uh, but uh, I, I just don't – I think that – Nebraska showed – I would think that Ohio State can really capitalize on Nebraska's defense. Now, whether they can stop Martinez entirely, I don't know, because he can run and he can pass. 10-56. By the way, speaking of that, did you see what Glass did against uh, Central Connecticut? Central Connecticut State, the Eastern, Eastern Michigan quarterback? Yes. Yeah. He, he ran Illinois crazy, right? Mm-hmm. One week later, they win the game by five points. One week later, he ran 10 times for 16 yards. He averaged 1.6 yards per carry. They held him down. Now, he threw for about nearly 300, and they won the game because he could throw. And he's a a decent thrower. In fact, he's better than – he's a good thrower, but he's also a good runner. I I, I just wonder how they held him down like that. Because every time they they got in trouble against Illinois, he, he could run. One final break, some final words after this. Got about a minute left here on this edition of the show. We appreciate our guest uh, this week, Mike Small, came in and spent some time with us. Will Leach, Bernie Nicholas from St. Louis talking some baseball. Illinois back in action next week. Wes Launt will be doing uh, the color commentary. Wes sat uh, next to me in the press box at the Nebraska game. I said... Doing a little scouting, was Yeah, I said, what do you think of this view? He goes... Everybody up here, everybody looks like they're open. <laughs> he said, I don't know how anybody ever misses the pass. Everybody's open. Well, he, he can't quite see it from down there. Uh-huh. And you guys got coming I'm at sure you. sure it's different, yeah. Yep. All right, Mr. Tate, appreciate it. All right. One other basketball note. Again, Monday night at the Esquire, 5 o'clock to 6. Ayo Desumu, Georgie Bashanasvili will join Matt Daniels, Bob Osmussen, Scott Ritchie, and yours truly, Hope to see you there. Thanks to uh, Tamara McDaniel and to Jim Lewis for helping us with this edition on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend, everybody.